Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. So today the Supreme Court issues a decision about President Trump's tax records. What are we supposed to think about it? How do we think about it? Well, you came to the right place. This is the John Girardi Show. I am John Girardi. Thank you so much for listening. All right, we're going to dig into this decision. It's it's sort of a very it's actually a really interesting case. And obviously the president lost. Basically what happens now is that the case is going to get sent back to New York. The president basically made this claim that, hey, I'm the president of the United States. The president of the United States has certain immunities for the duration of his service in office from various kinds of political, uh, from from various kinds of, excuse me, uh, judicial actions. So he is immune from prosecution, from various crimes while he is in office. That's what uh, the the way to check a president who engages in criminal conduct is the impeachment process. He's also immune from uh, various kinds of civil suits for actions taken while he's in office. Basically, there are all these safeguards that are on the office of the presidency. And the reason for it is because of how critical the office is. Um, basically, there's this grave seriousness which, with which the Constitution and all subsequent federal law afford the office of the presidency. The president is the commander-in-chief of the military. The president is basically always on call in the event of grave threats to the American people. And so as a result, well, people can make these sort of pious claims of no man's above the law. Well, the presidency is not necessarily above the law, but the way in which the law applies to the president to whoever is the holder of the office of the presidency is different. And it is different by design, and it was made to be different by the framers of the Constitution. So the question arises, well, how how great is that sort of wall of protection around the presidency? How far out does it extend? Does it extend out to, you know, uh, requests for information arising from civil litigation? And in the case of Bill Clinton and the Paula Jones case, uh, that answer was no. It didn't extend all the way out uh, to that. And the president did have to give information. And the Supreme Court even wound up ruling on it. And in fact, it was in the context of the Paula Jones investigation that the whole Monica Lewinsky thing came up. And it was clear in the depositions uh, relating to the Paula Jones matter that the president lied under oath and obstructed justice. Let's remember, by the way, throughout the whole Lewinsky thing, um, the reason why Bill Clinton got impeached and almost got kicked out of office, it wasn't because he had an affair or because he did sleazy stuff in the Oval Office. Okay, the, the reason he got impeached and almost got kicked out of office 
was because he he committed a felony. Okay, he committed several felonies. He lied under oath. He clearly and obviously lied under oath. Everyone knew it. Everyone admitted it. The Democrats admitted it. The Republicans admitted it. Everyone admitted it. Everyone knew that Bill Clinton lied under oath. The question was, was that lying under oath the kind of high crime or misdemeanor for which the framers of the Constitution envisioned, you know, removing a president from office? And the Democrats said no. The Republicans said yes. So anyway, what's happening today is, though, kind of an unprecedented thing, which Everyone kind of acknowledges in the various opinions that the court gave. So for those of you who haven't seen all the news, the Supreme Court ruled that Trump has to hand over some or basically that the court may proceed or excuse me, the Manhattan District Attorney through its grand jury investigation may proceed with its subpoena against President Trump's accountants to hand over 10 years of his tax records. Now, Trump may raise once this case is remanded back down, Trump can raise other kinds of objections. But what the Supreme Court said is, no, the president does not have a total constitutional immunity from producing these kinds of documents. What's significant here is that it's a state prosecutor issuing this subpoena, right? So there have been cases where courts have compelled presidents in certain federal contexts to produce information. Perhaps the most noteworthy and compelling instance of this was Richard Nixon. Okay, Richard Nixon was basically information from President Nixon was demanded through subpoenas in the context of a federal investigation of possible federal criminal activity. And the Supreme Court ruled in that case that under certain kinds of legal standards that, yes, the president does have to produce that stuff. Now, there are all kinds of, again, as I was saying, there are all kinds of safeguards around the office of the presidency because the presidency is so important, because it's such an essential sort of feature of our government that has to do with public safety, with national security, national safety. You can't just have the president or the office of the presidency, be subjected to the same kinds of distractions that a person occupying a far less important job is subject to, right? Uh, Now, justice, basically the way the Supreme Court ruled on this case, again, which is the Manhattan District Attorney through the grand jury requesting President Trump's tax records from 2011 to the present. And the way the court ruled on it was you had the five, the four liberal justices plus John Roberts, ruling that, yes, the president should turn over this information, that he does not have this immunity. You have Gorsuch and Kavanaugh concurring with that judgment, that no, the president doesn't have this kind of immunity, and while our standard for what for what you have to show um, would be different, ultimately we think the Manhattan DA has demonstrated that he has enough to go on here. And then Thomas and Alito dissented. They also thought the president doesn't have an absolute immunity from producing such information, but that whatever standard we should adopt, this has not been met right here. So that's how it's sort of broken up. It was basically kind of a seven to two decision with uh, Thomas and Alito dissenting, the, f- the four liberals 
Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch saying that, yes, the president uh, is not immune from turning over this kind of information. So uh, what are all the big constitutional concerns here? One, the fact that the presidency is this critical thing. You have to safeguard it. You can't have the president be unduly distracted all the time by tons of frivolous litigation left, right, and center. Okay? He has to have the ability to focus on the incredibly important work of the presidency. He also can't be subject to a normal sort of criminal process. Okay? The, the president, whether or not the president has done something wrong, the framers of the Constitution put in the safeguard of impeachment and removal from office with the knowledge that once a president's removed from office, then he can be subjected to the normal processes of criminal prosecution. But if the president of the United States, the person who's the commander-in-chief of the military, who's in charge of foreign policy, uh, Alito, Justice Alito presents this whole scenario of what are we saying? If, if we're not going to give the president this kind of immunity, can the president, see, can the president be charged with a crime by the Manhattan District Attorney? Can he be booked and fingerprinted? Can he then be, you know, booked into Rikers Island jail while he's in the jail? Does, you know, can he, you know, do, can he bring in advisors to ask him about important affairs? Can he make a phone call to a foreign leader? Can he, what if there's a military attack on us? Can he, can he direct a military strike from his cell in Rikers Island? No, obviously not. And those concerns are critically important in both the eyes of the framers of the Constitution and Justice Alito. Now, The question is, what are the limits and safeguards? This is a totally novel case. You have a state prosecutor from New York demanding these tax records from the president of the United States. Never has the court issued a kind of decision about state prosecutors, okay? In the Nixon case, that was a federal criminal prosecution. In this instance, it's a state investigation, a state criminal investigation, not a prosecution that, that's like actually actively being, you know, perpetuated. It, it, this is a state criminal investigation. And the Manhattan DA has been very opaque about the nature of what this is. It was for a violation of New York crimes. So the question is, should the president be forced to hand this over? Now, the It seems like we have very different ideas of this from the chief justice and the four liberals as opposed to Alito, who really had the strongest dissent in this case. In the eyes of Chief Justice Roberts and the four liberals, well, this isn't. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That big of a deal. I mean, you know, all it is, is it's really a subpoena against a third party, the president's accountants. So the accountants just hand it over. It's not going to unduly distract the president from his duties of office. Meanwhile, Justice Alito points out, you know, if anyone is subject to criminal prosecution, it's probably for a lot of people, it's going to be the thing they think about morning, noon and night. All right. I I know 
just speaking for myself here, uh, if someone were criminally prosecuted, I, I think about things morning, noon, and night that are far less weighty or far less of a threat to my, you know, existence <laughs> uh, than criminal prosecution. Okay, I'm 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 kind of a weenie. I, I when people get mad at me, I'm I'm I don't handle it great. So. The notion that this isn't going to be a major distraction from the president, that it isn't going to occupy an enormous amount of the president's time, efforts, and energy and distract him from the important work of the presidency is laughable. Of course it will. It's criminal proce- it's, it's a criminal investigation with his tax records at the center of it. And unspoken through this whole thing is what it's about. This has to do with Stormy Daniels, with the allegations that the president had an affair with her, that he paid her a gazillion dollars to not talk about it, that this was in 2016 in the, in the midst of the campaign. Michael Cohen arranged it. Michael Cohen has alleged that the president tried to obstruct justice, tried to tell him not to, not to talk about it. it, blah, 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 blah. There's all, that, that is at the core of all of this. Did the president engage in some kind of illegality in this sleazy alleged uh, you know, thing with Stormy Daniels to have her, you know, basically have a non-disclosure agreement so that she would not talk about anything having to do with their affair. And this is coming out and, you know, the Manhattan D and one of the points that Justice Alito raises is the political nature of this. Or at the very least, the possibility for the for politics to be deeply involved. He points out, look, there are two. It's one thing for a federal investigation to seek this. But then when you expand it to state prosecutors, let's understand this. There are 2000, some 2,300 state slash county district attorneys throughout the United States of America. 2,300 of them. Many of them, including the district attorney of New York, are popularly elected. All right? they're, they're not appointed by the governor or, or by the mayor or whatever. They're popularly elected. And many, many, many of these district attorneys reside in districts or counties where one president or another is or is not popular. Okay, yes, the D.A. of uh, of Manhattan is probably elected by a voter base for whom the president is wildly unpopular. Uh, The D.A. of, you know, name an extremely conservative rural area. Okay, the D.A. of Tulare County, on the on the other hand, the president's pretty popular over there. And it would be there is a huge political temptation for a state prosecutor to be able to initiate some kind of criminal proceedings, whether justified or not, whether legitimate or not, at least to initiate criminal investigations, especially through a grand jury proceeding. Where these grand jury proceedings are a lot of them are different. Okay, sometimes you don't have to establish even probable cause that someone has committed a crime to get the ball rolling for, you know, investigations through a grand jury proceeding. So basically what Justice what what Justice Roberts is saying is, look, we this is the standard that we're going to have uh, and and we think, you know, we, we have this standard for when the president has to produce information and we don't think that that is, you know, at threat here. Whereas Justice Alito is saying, no, 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 your your standard is too low. Your standard is too low. You are subjecting presidents, not just this president, but presidents in general, 
to all kinds of politicized investigations. Now, now it's not going to be limited just to federal prosecutors. Now it's going to be open to state prosecutors. And so it doesn't, it's not, I think people are sort of framing this as who likes Trump and who doesn't. And in the case of Justice Alito, I think he's actually, he's the one who I think has talked the most about the institute, or or, to me at least, talked very convincingly about the office of the presidency in a way that was detached from the person of Donald Trump. Anyway, the whole thing is really interesting. We're going to keep digging into it right after this. This is the John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. There's been just a ton of talk throughout the course of the Trump presidency about the issue of norms, these sort of unofficial norms for how presidents should behave, how presidential candidates should behave, how presidents should conduct themselves, the kinds of things they should say and the kinds of things they should do. And Trump has certainly broken the mold in a number of ways as far as the way in which he communicates with people, with you know his base and with his voters, the way in which he does this. The kinds of things he says, the his his delight in openly making fun of different kinds of political opponents in ways that other people would think is belittling to the gravity of the office of the president. There's all kinds of ways in which Trump has Trump has broken the mold, including I think, and and in various ways I have my criticisms and my praises for all kinds of different things. As as a lawyer, I've often expressed my my a frustration that Bill Barr has also expressed publicly. My frustration with how the president, you know, winds up tweeting about legal matters that affect him. And essentially, anytime you tweet about those kinds of legal matters that affect you, you wind up doing so in a way that harms your legal interests. But the president also breaks the mold in a lot of really good ways. I think the president broke the mold as far as how we think about economic policy and how we think about free trade agreements and the kinds of, you know, what is the kind of economy that conservatives want to promote. Uh, There's a questioning of some of these old dogmas of blue blood republicanism that I think was important and necessary and which I'm, I'm very glad that the president sort of has opened a real conversation for that. And it makes me very excited about, or at least intrigued by the possibilities of what uh, the Republican party, what conservative political thinking is going to mean going forward. Now, this is now having said that about the president's willingness to break the mold, this raises the difficult question about one of the norms that the president sort of broke, which was his refusal to turn over his tax records when he was running for president. Now, that has always been a norm that or not always, but certainly in the last 50 or so years of presidential politics that the two main candidates from the Republican and Democratic Party would publicize their tax records going back X number of years. And Trump famously said, no, I'm not going to. Now, I don't know that there's a legal... Now, he made these points that I'm not legally compelled to do that. It's none of it's not the public's business necessarily what my taxes say. And he's correct in that regard. It's not a legal norm, but it was a norm that served some purposes. Right? The, the, the point of presidents handing over their tax records 
on the you know on the whole i don't think it was a terrible idea it's basically a demonstration that at, at the very least in this regard there's nothing embarrassing to hide there's nothing inappropriate to hide you can see how this person made their money what money they made that they what connections they might have as far as you know holdings and stocks and things like that what things they would need to disclose what kinds of business interests they would need to give up in the event that they became president uh i think it's a decent thing for a president to do well the president never did and now he's being he's getting to a point where the supreme court has ruled today that basically the president is not immune, not immune by virtue of his office from turning over these tax records to a state investigation in New York. Now, I think I'm I'm inclined to agree more so with Justice Alito and his dissent that I, I think it does not make sense. I, I think this ruling is probably wrong. Because I do think, you know, the I think the points Justice Alito makes have a lot of merit to them. That now the president is going to be, you know, there's never been a case the Supreme Court has decided where state prosecutors, okay, and that means basically anyone from the district attorney, excuse me, the um, the attorney general of a given state, all the way down to a county district attorney, okay. So whether it's you know Javier Becerra, all the way down to uh, Lisa Smith camp. Okay, all of those people are state criminal prosecutors, all right? There's never been a case where the Supreme Court has allowed a state criminal investigation to get personal records from a president. Hasn't happened in a state criminal context. And again, this is because of this notion that the president's the president has to Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To be able to perform the duties of his office without constant undue legal interference in the form of whether it's civil lawsuits or, or criminal lawsuits. If the president does something bad enough, you have the mechanism of impeachment and removal. And then after that, he's subject to all the norm, normal processes of criminal prosecution. So while I think I probably agree with Justice Alito that this instance of the Manhattan District Attorney trying to get Trump's tax records is not justified, I think the broader problem is this. The norm that the president should turn over his tax records served some value. All right. Trump is probably going to have to turn this over in a way that's embarrassing to him and harmful to him. And the norm that the president produces tax records was meant to avoid these kinds of big public squabbles so that now it's going to look a lot worse when this stuff gets revealed. So it's frustrating. I don't know that it's right, but on the other hand, you know, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh both thought that the president was 
you know, they both thought that the president should turn over his tax records. The, the immunity that a president faces in this regard is not absolute. Everyone agreed on that. It was just everyone had a different standard, and Alito thought that standard was not met. I tend to agree with Alito, but it again highlights this problem that if you, hire, if you elect a president who's refusing to turn over his tax records, these are the kinds of, this is the kind of scrutiny, this is the kind of problems that you can face. Having presidents turn over their tax records wasn't a bad norm. Kind of made sense. All right, with that being said, I want to turn, uh, coming up next, I'm going to turn to the Supreme Court decisions that were issued yesterday about religious liberty, a great piece from Andy McCarthy, highlighting my concern even about those wins. We'll get to it next. This is the John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Yesterday on the show, I talked about the Supreme Court decision from yesterday involving the Little Sisters of the Poor. This was basically a case that has gone back and forth, up and down the federal court system again and again and again since 2012. And it has to do with the Obamacare HHS mandate. Now, this was a mandate that came out of the Affordable Care Act, a regulation... All right. So basically what happens is the Affordable Care Act says that certain kinds of preventative care must be included in all health insurance plans throughout the country. And basically left to the HHS the discretion for specifying what those kinds of services are. In 2012, HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, said that contraception, including abortifacient contraception, must be included and applied this to every employer in the country, including religious employers who morally object to such things. It's obviously most directly impacted Catholic employers who oppose the, who, who from, from an ethical position believe that contraception is immoral. The plaintiffs who have been out in front in this whole thing are a community of Catholic nuns called the Little Sisters of the Poor who uh, have a number of foundations throughout the United States and mostly they run homes for the elderly and the poor uh, to serve them. So pretty sympathetic plaintiff who needs or wants access to contraception and abortifacient contraception less than a community of Catholic nuns. Uh, Why should their uh, health insurance plan covering these nuns, why should it include be forced to include and forced to have them pay for services to which they morally object? It's a very good question. So this has gone up and down, up and down, up and down, and the Supreme Court ruled yesterday in favor of the nuns. But how much did they? Andy McCarthy writing at National Review. So yesterday on the show, I was making the point that all this is saying, all the Supreme Court decision is saying is that President Trump has the ability to issue a different set of regulations than what President Obama issued. Right. So President Obama, and this is the problem with the regulatory state. Okay, Congress passes these massive pieces of legislation like Obamacare. And you've got Nancy Pelosi up there saying, oh, we have to pass the bill first to find out what's in it. And that was actually really true on her part. She's not lying. These pieces of legislation are so mammoth and so gargantuan that there are all kinds of areas where either 
the appropriate executive agency that's executing the law, that's carrying out the law, has to define its terms in ways that can have major policy implications, or the text of the bill openly leaves it up to to the Department of Health and Human Services or whatever other regulatory agency there is to issue the standards, issue various standards. It's basically Congress saying, we know our job is to write law, but we're going to put in here a section that gives an executive branch official, an official appointed by the president, an office that's under the direction of the president, we're going to give them the ability to write law. Okay, that's what regulation is, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Laws are written by Congress. Regulations are basically areas of discretion within laws where Congress delegates to the president and his subordinate officers and officials in the executive branch to let them write laws. Okay. Now, the Supreme Court decision from yesterday about the Little Sisters of the Poor, it, like the outcome was, yep, the, sister, the Little Sisters don't have to pay for this stuff. They don't have to have these regulations on them. And everyone goes, yay, hooray. Everyone on the right goes, yay, hooray. Way to go. Way to go, Supreme Court. And it's actually, it was a seven to two decision. It was uh, the five conservatives and then there was a concurrence by Kagan and Breyer. So it's like, oh, geez, this is a slam dunk. Well, the fact that Kagan and Breyer concurred should be a big flashing light indicator to all of us that eh, maybe this wasn't quite as big a victory as it really should have been. And indeed it wasn't. So here's the two problems with it, which Andy McCarthy lays out in his column. One is that This wasn't a ruling that the HHS mandate violated the sisters' First Amendment rights. That's not what the ruling was. All this ruling said was, okay, President Obama set the rules one way. We're not going to decide whether or not that violated the First Amendment. President Trump is trying to set the rules another way. We agree that President Trump can set the rules another way. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is that if Joe Biden gets elected, and he just today reiterated that he would do this, by the way, if President Biden gets elected, he can come into office, and within a month, he'll just switch the regulations right back. And then the nuns are going to be back in court again for round, you know, umpteenth. And this is the precise point I made yesterday, and it's getting confirmed by all these other legal analysts. That's why you should listen to this show. I know what the heck I'm talking about, people. So it didn't really, it, it's, it's kind of a win. But basically, Biden can switch this back. Now, the courts seem to threaten Biden or, or any future presidential administration that, look, if you do this again, maybe we'll get to the core question of whether that regulation, whether such a regulation violates the First Amendment and uh, this piece of legislation called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act or RIFRA, which basically gives beefs up the constitutional protections of the First Amendment. Here's the other problem with the Supreme Court's decision from yesterday. Basically, uh, Kagan and Breyer and their concurrence all but all but, you know, lay out the red carpet to these object to these various entities who objected to President Trump's change of the rules to issue a bunch of new challenges on different grounds based on the notion that this didn't that president trump's change of the regulations from what president obama had 
were arbitrary and capricious and therefore didn't comply with appropriate uh, appropriate conditions of the Administrative Procedures Act, which basically governs how regulatory agencies are allowed to issue rule changes, regulatory changes for these big fat pieces of legislation where they can sort of help make the rules. So Annie McCarthy writes, it is certain that the litigation will continue. The objecting states, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, will now claim that the exemptions should be invalidated as arbitrary and capricious under the APA. That inevitability prompted Justice Samuel Alito, joined by Justice Neil Gorsuch, to pen a concurrence that faults the court for failing to decide the RIFRA issue, the First Amendment issue. Okay. Justice Alito forcefully argues that that contraceptive mandate would unlawfully burden the free exercise rights of employers, such as the Little Sisters who harbor sincerely held religious objections. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act is triggered when the government burdens a person's right to free exercise of religion, even by the enactment of a neutral law of general applicability, i.e. a law that applies to everyone and is not overtly hostile to religion. Substantially burdening religion is prohibited unless the government can show that the law in question, A, furthers a compelling government interest, and B, by employing the least restrictive means of doing so. So, basically, the, the court is just encouraging more litigation here and encouraging litigation on the same grounds whereby Justice Roberts and the four liberals overturned a bunch of President Trump's various immigration orders. For example, his repeal of DACA. Okay, Basically, what they said in the DACA case was, oh, President Trump didn't show all, didn't do, didn't show his math, basically. He didn't show all the reasons why or, or the possible harms for adopting this policy. Oh, he didn't, he didn't show his work. And so, even though he's clearly overriding something that even we kind of agree was probably illegal, he needed to show more for why, the, for he needed to show more of his work, and therefore we're stopping the president from abolishing DACA. Basically, they're inviting the exact same kind of litigation for this HHS mandate. So this is the frustrating thing about this court. You know, everyone on the left is going to, you know, raise this Sturm and Drang as soon as Biden is elected, if he's elected. And if the Democrats take over the Senate, and especially if the Democrats eliminate the filibuster, they're going to say that, you know, this Supreme Court is illegitimate. Look at the people on the court. Look at Gorsuch, who's sitting in a seat that should be occupied by Merrick Garland. Look at Kavanaugh, almost certain rapist and, you know, uh, sexual assaulter. In spite of the fact that the person who accused him, you know, said it happened 30 years ago. There's no evidence that the two had even met and blah, blah, blah. There are enormous problems with just assuming wholesale that Brett Kavanaugh was a sexual assaulter. The charges against him were incredibly weak in a whole number of ways. Anyway, regardless of that, they view the so-called conservative majority, I guess I'll call it the Republican appointee majority on the Supreme Court as fundamentally illegitimate. And so they... The Democrats are, look, this is the Democrat plan. I've talked about this on the show before. I'm going to reiterate it again. What is the Democrat plan if Joe Biden wins? Joe Biden wins. If Joe Biden wins, it probably means that the Democrats are going to take control of the Senate, just based on the way the electoral map would sort of wind up shaking out. Wind up shaking out. Good mixed metaphors there. If Biden wins and the Democrats take control of the Senate, 
then the Democrats will have the White House, the Senate, and the House. If they take control of the Senate, the Democrats are already talking openly about eliminating the filibuster rule in the Senate. The filibuster rule is basically the rule that you need 60 votes in the Senate to stop debate and advance a piece of legislation, as opposed to just 50 votes plus one, okay? If they eliminate the filibuster, there's a lot of stuff the Democrats can do that they've never been able to do before. They can make the District of Columbia a state. All you need is majority votes in both houses of Congress and the president signing off on it. So they can make the District of Columbia a state. They can make Puerto Rico a state. Boom. That's four more Democrat senators. Because those are very liberal places. Next, if they don't have the filibuster anymore, they look at the Supreme Court. And as I said, they view it as a fundamentally illegitimate institution right now because they think two of the seven seats, uh, two of the nine seats rather, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, are illegitimate. They think Gorsuch shouldn't be there because he basically stole, he, he is sitting in a seat that should be occupied by Merrick Garland, and they think Kavanaugh shouldn't be there because they think Kavanaugh's a rapist. So they will propose packing the Supreme Court. They're going to introduce that legislation, and I don't think Joe Biden, Joe Biden has said he doesn't support expanding the size of the Supreme Court, but I think if the Democrats pass it through the Senate and through the House, he's not going to stop it. And yes, the number of justices on the Supreme Court is not set by law. It's not set by the Constitution. Congress can change. Well, it's set by law, but it's a law that Congress can change through simple, you know, the House and the Senate agreeing on it and the president signing it into law. So they can expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court, and then Biden gets to nominate them, and Chuck Schumer gets to confirm them. So understand... These are very weak conservative victories that we have had this term. Whatever conservative victories we've had. These little victories on religious liberty. Okay, letting Catholic schools, uh, you know, decide for themselves what kinds of teachers they will and will not employ. All right, that's fine. That's a nice little victory. Letting, uh, you know, letting the little sisters of the poor have a five-minute breather before litigation starts up again. Great, wonderful. But this court has handed us a bunch of very stinging losses. Rewriting the, basically rewriting the Civil Rights Act so that now it protects sexual orientation and gender identity and has basically redefined sex and gender for purposes of federal law. A huge defeat on abortion. And John Roberts thinks he's going to placate the left, but really, he just isn't. They are still going to fundamentally transform this court if Joe Biden wins. And if they do that, it's going to fundamentally transform the country. We'll be back with our closing thoughts after this. This is the John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. This is the new John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Been an interesting story uh, bopping about that. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I love Andy McCarthy from National Review. Um, A very interesting study to get us away from Supreme Court stuff as we close out the show. And uh, Buck Sexton is coming up next after this. So be sure to stay tuned to Power Talk. Uh, Buck Sexton, again, coming up right after John Girardi here on the John Girardi Show. Thank you so much for listening. A study came out basically examining 
police shootings in America, police fatal shootings in America, and looking at both the race of officers involved with shootings and the race of victims of those shootings. Now, there are some studies that it depends on the parameters of the study, the, the what they're analyzing, all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of different studies that are sort of pointing in different directions when it comes to police shootings. Uh, if you look at how many police shootings relative to the percentage of the population, you see black people are far more likely to get shot. This provides people with some evidence that there is police bias against African-Americans. On the other hand, if you look at it in terms of number of interactions that police have with uh, persons, including violent interactions that police have with persons, you see that maybe there isn't as much evidence. So this study comes out indicating that white officers are actually not more likely to shoot black suspects. Okay, And the authors of the study start having this study be quoted by various conservative, co- conservative commentators who are sort of arguing, like, okay, look, this is new evidence coming out to say that maybe these police officer, maybe these police offices are not institutionally racist, that the way in which they employ force and shoot is not motivated by race here. That, you know, when you look at black officers versus white officers and how they, uh, how they act, that the white officers are not acting fundamentally worse towards African-American suspects than black officers are. And, you know... Obviously, there are all kinds of controls that are involved, etc. The authors of this study have retracted their whole study. Why? Because of the way in which conservative commentators were using it. It's so ridiculous. This is the the obsessive left-winginess of academia. That they there's a refusal, because of certain preconceived political notions, to follow research to where it leads. And now look... I, whether there is a problem with race in American police departments, I think is a question that is uh, that it's almost a little too simplistic to ask. I think it has to be looked at at a department by department basis. I think there are maybe there are I'm pretty sure there are some police departments that have some problems with that. I'm sure. I think there are also a lot of police departments that don't have problems with that don't have systemic racist problems. I think the data would point to all of the data is really pointing to is I think that it's an extraordinarily complicated question that doesn't fit into nice categories. And I think there are so many on the left who are just ready and willing to jump to the conclusion that, yep, cops are fundamentally racist. And even too many on the right who are willing to concede that that police departments are fundamentally racist. I, I, I don't know that I believe that. I'm sure there are some that are. I'm sure there are some officers who are. But I don't know that we want to fundamentally concede that. I think we need to analyze the evidence of who is committing crimes, what percentage, you know, how often these interactions take place and follow the evidence where it leads. It seems to be that these researchers don't like it when their evidence is employed to reach any kind of a conservative outlook. And that's kind of lame and kind of troubling to whether we can actually have an honest conversation about police violence. That's going to do it for me. Buck Sexton next. This has been the John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.